0: about this i've got have got one of those watches that is kind of smarter than me you know, you know one of those watches and uh, right at the very beginning in the first song it kind of gave me a little buzz on my wrist and i looked down and it said this environment is too loud for human hearing <laughs> you need to get out of here soon and i thought wait a minute it was cool though wasn't it i love that oh, first song is great so um It's the new year, it's um, it's great to see you, happy new year to all of you. How about this, how about this, those of you who are online, you can do the same thing, and those of us in-house, why don't we turn to someone in a seat next to us and say hi, how about that, find somebody you don't know maybe, do you know their name, do you know their name, say hi, if you're online. Just put it in the comment box, say who you are and say hi and welcome one another. Okay, break it up, break it up, there's way too much, way too much kindness being expressed in here. Okay, so we're in the new year, we're going to start a whole new series in the book of John and in a few weeks we'll be leaping from chapter to chapter John is an amazing an amazing gospel it was the gospel that really captured my heart when i was a very very young christian it was the thing that really drove me towards really studying the scriptures and understanding what it was that god wanted to say through the bible and so it's a really special book for me and i know it is for many others in the congregation and when we go through those chapters to chapters we'll be just looking at particular individuals or particular stories particular scenarios that we can look at and learn from together but for the first few weeks we're going to dig into the first chapter because the first chapter is so dense so deeply ingrained with God's revelation that we need to really really embrace what the first chapter is all about. John the disciple of Jesus was an old man by the time he got around to writing this gospel he was according to really well attested history and tradition he was the leader of the church in ephesus the church that paul had planted that timothy paul's disciple had led and both of those men had gone to be with the lord martyred for their faith and john as quite an old man himself, brought the ancient old lady Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him. And together they came and made residence in Ephesus, one of the great cities of the then ancient world. Mary, soon after they arrived there, died, and you can go and visit her grave there in Ephesus even today. And John began perhaps at this time his writing career. He had been an apostle, he had been an evangelist, he'd been a teacher of God's word and ways, he had been a representative and a witness of the life of Jesus, and by then much of the New Testament was already compiled, was already circulating in the early churches, and it's perhaps with that in mind that John wrote a gospel that in some ways fills in the gaps for us, but in other ways gives us the themes, gives us the background story that stitches together the story of Jesus. And so as we go through this gospel, it's going to be a fascinating journey for us. Of course, living in Ephesus, John was addressing a particular group of people, a particular environment, particular culture, particular context. I doubt, I'm pretty sure that none of the gospel writers or the New Testament writers really thought about people 2,000 years from then reading their words. He was writing to a particular group of people and, and that group of people were influenced by two big spiritual movements. They were all Christians but they had two big spiritual movements. One was the movement that was really initiated by Paul and the other movement was the movement initiated by a man called Apollos, who when the, when the friends of Paul encountered him in Ephesus, they, they instructed him in some of the things that he'd missed out on, one of which was an understanding of the Holy Spirit. But Apollos who had come to Ephesus from another great city with another great library, Alexandria, in Egypt, Apollos began a movement, or perhaps catalyzed a movement, that was really reverential towards John the Baptist. The man who had prepared the way for Jesus. And so there are these two streams of early Christianity. One that really focused on the ministry of preparation, the ministry of the preparation of the heart, the ministry of, of understanding that we need to make a way for the Lord that was, of course, all of the message of John the Baptist and that was deeply ingrained into the Jewish mentality at the time. And then there was, of course, the movement Mostly among Gentiles, the first one mostly amongst Jewish believers in Jesus, the second one mostly amongst Gentiles that of course recognized John the Baptist but didn't elevate him to the degree that perhaps the other movement did. And so John, when he's writing his gospel, he wants to kind of put things in order and he wants people to understand the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. And as I read the first 20 verses or so of this, of this book, of this chapter, you'll begin to hear as John is expressing what it is that God's putting in his heart, the difference between the two. Who is Jesus? Who is John? Let's read from John chapter 1 and verse 1. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me from the fullness of his grace. We have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, In the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John arrives in Ephesus. He finds an incredibly vibrant church, a church that's so incredibly fruitful that it will be the center of Christian mission and activity For the next 300 years, until around about 431, when a great gathering of the church leaders at the time gathered in Ephesus for what was called the Council of Ephesus, Ephesus, as a church, would be the touchstone, would be the plumb line. Drop my Bible. Um, Would be the would be the plumb line. Would be if you like, the example of what a church should be. And so John comes to this place, it's incredibly vibrant, it's incredibly vital, and he, bringing the mother of Jesus with him, comes with all of the assets and the resources of one who has lived with Jesus, known him. And of course, because he is the guardian, as it were, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, knows all of the story And the background. And so when John says, when the word Jesus came to that which was his own and they didn't receive him, this was not just some kind of theory or speculation. This is actual truth that Mary would tell him. What happened when Jesus went to Nazareth and the family and friends rejected him, and what it was like for Jesus as he struggled to come to terms with the fact that that Nazareth Nazareth would not become his his base of operations, his his home, his family on mission. He would struggle, of course, with the fact that his brothers would demean him and, and treat him poorly. And he would hear of how Mary, following her son as one of his disciples, would be at the cross as Jesus died, wrapping his body with strips of cloth, no doubt reminding her of the day when he was born and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. So these, these stories have a, a granular reality. But what it is that John is wanting to communicate is that the difference between Jesus and John is a difference that you and I can embrace and understand in our own lives. He says, the Word the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Now, when he uses the, the, the expression, the Word, of course, he's using something that's deeply ingrained in the story of Scripture. It's deeply ingrained in the narrative of what it was that God has done and said. He's going right back to the very first verses of the Old Testament when the creation is in chaos and darkness and we hear the word that says let there be light. We think of an inanimate reality. We think of maybe God saying something, but what John is wanting to communicate is that whatever it was that God said was said, was revealed, was made manifest in the Son of God, who was there from the very beginning for all eternity. He was the the co-creator he was the architect the executive in everything that was made and the word of god the word of god so powerfully revealing who god is of course reveals in that revelation where the source of life is he is light and the light is the light of men and and that light is the life, the life of every human being. And John says this, he says, he says, in relation to the light, everything else is darkness. Everything else is darkness. In relation to the blazing glory of the Son of God, everything else dims into insignificance. And he says this, he says, he says, the light shines in the darkness. And then he uses a word that's very hard to translate into a single English word. Here it says, the darkness was not able to understand it. In other places, in other translations, it says that the darkness was not able to grasp it. In other translations, it talks about the darkness not being able to overcome it, because the word picture that John is conjuring for us is that light comes into the darkness and the darkness has to respond. It has to respond. And as the darkness, that's just everywhere else, as the darkness encounters the light, the response is basically two things. Either a curiosity that says i don't i don't understand what this is but i need to know more or so overwhelmed by the presence of light in the midst of darkness it rejects it john says of course that rejection is most clearly exemplified in the people who were closest to the man jesus they could see the light in him but they rejected it. But then he says this. He says, but to all who received him, he gives, and again, it's one of those words that's really difficult to translate into, an, into a single English word, the Greek word, exousia. Say, exousia. exousia. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? Exousia sounds like I don't know maybe one of those juices that you get at a juice bar (laughs) what would you like I'd like an exousia please would you like that with extra protein oh yes exousia it means it means authority it means the delegated responsibility Everyone who receives him and receives his identity, his name, they get the delegated responsibility to be the children of God. In other words, they get to be what the word is to them. Just think about it for a minute. The Word, Jesus, comes and reveals the light of God to you. And you choose with curiosity to say, I don't get it, but I'm going to keep on asking questions and I'm going to stay open and I'm going to welcome this light into my life because although it's alien and different, I think it's a good thing because it seems to give life to me. In that desire to receive and in that reception the one you receive, the word of God, gives you the delegated responsibility, gives you the authority to function as his representative as his child. We often think of child just as someone who's dependent But in the context of this passage, of course it's dependent. It it is someone who is, is relying upon God for protection and provision. But it's the other way around. The word exousia suggests that the children of God have a job to do. And the job is to represent the one who has sent them, their Father in heaven. In the same way... That the Word of God, Jesus, has been sent from the Father to reveal who He is. So, we are sent as the representatives of Jesus to reveal what it's like to be in the family of God. So, how does it work? It's really important that we get this. And um, it's important that we understand that there are some people here today and online who are going to be naturally better at different parts of this than others. Now recently, um, and I've been sharing it with the, with the various different leaders and staff here and in various other places, recently data has been gathered about the way in which different generations respond and relate to God. Now, one of the reasons for this is that there's a, there's a real conundrum right now across the American church and across the Western church and the conundrum is this. How come people of my age who've been going to church all their life have stopped going to church after COVID? What is that? It's actually more than 50% of my generation, the boomers, have said, they're not interested in re-engaging. 50%. I mean, that's a lot of people. Given that that the boomers were, because of the name, the the baby boom after the Second World War, the baby boomers are born from 1946 to 1964. Obviously, I'm one of the young ones. (laughs) The, The boomers are are born right after the servicemen come home from, from war. And, I mean, for some reason, they wanted to have sex. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> and, um, and there's a huge baby boom. Huge baby boom. And it's the largest group of people ever. I mean, it's a huge group of people. And it's the largest generation of people right up until a recent group of people who were thoroughly unhelpful, generally unwanted. <laughs> we call them the millennials. <laughs> until that group, the boomers were by and far the largest group in, in America and the Western world. And you know, they, they kind of came to terms with this new world and all of the opportunities, and, and one of the things that happened, certainly in America, was that the church grew with their involvement, with their affirmation, with their engagement, and so really the landscape of the American church is really defined by people of my generation, yeah, they've led all of the large movements, the large megachurches and all of that. And it was true in Britain um, when I was leading churches there, as it is here. So why does that group decide that they don't want to go to church anymore? Now, it's a longer conversation that we'll need to look at later. But, you know, some of your friends, those of you who are of a similar age group to me, some of your friends are kind of going through this right now. They're saying, well, I don't want to go back to wherever I think I'll go and try somewhere else. Well, when they say they're trying somewhere else, very often they're not. I'm not suggesting that they're being, you know, untoward or deceptive in any way. It's just, it's just that it doesn't really work. They don't find another place. And so they kind of flit from here to there and then it doesn't happen for them. So that's a, that's a real conundrum. But then there's this other conundrum. And the other conundrum is this. When you measure the spiritual curiosity of people, the group that's the most spiritually curious that anyone's ever seen since all of this data was begun to be gathered in the first part of the 20th century are the Gen Zenials bird, you. And those of the age group between, say, 9 and 24, following the millennials, who themselves are very spiritually curious, the Gen Zennials, Gen Z as they're called, are the most spiritually curious group of people that's ever been encountered. So this is really interesting, isn't it? Now, Gen Z and the millennials are often looked down upon by people of my generation because they're different. They do stuff differently. They think differently. They operate differently. And frankly, we look at them and we say, well, it looks a lot like Jesus They don't do anything until they're 30, and then if anything happens, it's a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that kind of negative disposition has often meant that that younger generation come to the boomer church and don't find a welcome. Yeah, that church that's defined by people in my generation, they don't quite live up to The expectations of that group, and so they don't feel welcome. And yet, they're the most spiritually curious generation of people that we've yet seen. So, how are we to kind of deal with this? Well, let me suggest to you one way of dealing with it. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says this, There is a word and there is a voice. The word is the thing that we need most of all because the word is the reason, is is the expression, is the perfect articulation of who God is and how he wants to interact with people. And so when we look at Jesus and listen to Jesus, we know what God is like and we know what God wants. And more especially, we know what God is like and what God wants for me, for you. And then there's a voice. The voice is different to the word because without the word, the voice is just a series of mumbles. Without the word, the voice has no clarity. Without the word, the voice has nothing that anyone can grab onto. Without the word, the voice is inarticulate, incomprehensible. Without the word, the voice would be just as well as stay silent because without the word, whatever the voice says doesn't really make sense. You see, the voice needs the word. One of the um, one of the early theologians of the church, uh, an African called Augustine, who lived in a city on the North African coast called Hippo. He uh, he really was the great thinker of the time, and when he wrote down his his thoughts and his reflections, what he wrote down became, if you like, the framework of theological thinking for the next 1,000 years. So you'd have to say that Augustine is a hugely important person. Somebody who can influence the way that people think for 1,000 years, I mean, you know, that's fairly impressive. And Augustine, he, he put it like this, he said, When I'm walking in the marketplace in Hippo, I encounter all kinds of different people. Different language groups, different dispositions, different sexualities, different ways of looking at the world. And unless the word is within me, I have nothing that I can say to any of them. But because the word is in me, because the word is in me, that word can be translated into Greek, and I can speak to a Greek person. He was very educated. He said, I can speak to a person who's a Latin-speaking person. I can speak to a person that's a Punic-speaking person, the ancient language of Carthage. I can speak to a person from one of the tribal groups that that populates North Africa. I I can speak to people from different languages, cultures, and backgrounds because my voice is able to be the mouthpiece for the word within me. Anybody getting this? We're the voice. Jesus is the word. What does he want to say? What does Jesus want to say? Turn to John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh. The eternal Son of God chooses to become a human being. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks when we all come together for the kind of celebration Sunday where adults and children are all going to be sharing here together. We're going to look at what this means because actually what it means is Jesus came and pitched his tent. He came and was a kind of mobile presence of God among us. The word is, he put up his tabernacle. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only. There's only only one Son of God. There's only one Word. There's only one way. There's only one person that can connect you to the Father, and that's Jesus. Who came from the Father, here it is, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So if the word is full of something, that's what it is that the word is communicating. If the word is, is full of something, then that is the, that's the thing that you get when you bump into the word. And so when you bump into Jesus, what you bump into is grace and truth. And then in verse 16, just look what it says there. From the fullness of his grace, we have received Some of them have this uh, anemic translation of one blessing after another. It's the worst translation in the history of the world. From the fullness of His grace, we've received grace upon grace. From the fullness of His grace, we've received grace upon grace. So, let's think about it. You're in Costco. Okay, so you're in Costco. was in Walmart the other day. A lady who works in another place altogether said, Mike Breen. She's wearing her Walmart stuff. What are you doing? She comes over and gives me a huge hug. I can't remember her name. I don't know how she knows my name. And she's She's a lovely person. She's fascinating. I don't know her from Adam. Honestly, I don't know anything about her, but she clearly thinks that she knows me really, really well. Now, when you encounter people, what's it like for them? What's it like for them? Now, you know, I'm... I'm a little bit embarrassed, I can't remember her name, I feel a little diffident. I'm actually quite a shy person underneath all of this kind of bluster. And so I could kind of just brush her off. But what I try to do is to be welcoming and kind because I think that that's gracious yeah? It's gracious. Now, you might say to me, and did you share the four spiritual laws with her before you left Walmart? <laughs> well, no. But here's the thing. Maybe after multiple opportunities to share grace with her from which she receives grace upon grace, she'll encounter In me the light of Jesus that makes her curious and causes her to ask a question so what is it that's different about that bloke and then maybe I get a chance to share the truth but it's not my job to do truth before grace it's my job to be the voice of the word and the word is encountered as grace and truth. Okay, if you're online, nudge somebody in the comment box and say, it's grace and truth. And if you're here, nudge a person next to you and say, it's grace and truth. That, go on. It's grace and truth, isn't it? Yeah? In that order. So you're in Costco. Costco. You meet somebody, and they're from a a different language group. They're from a different ethnic group. They're from a different culture. They have a different sexuality to you. What do you do? You offer grace, yeah? And from your grace that the word has poured out upon you, you share grace upon grace, don't you? If only Christians would do this, man, we would be in so much better shape. We panic, you see. We panic. We think, how am I going to straighten this person out? I know, I'll give them some truth. It's not your job to straighten them out, it's your job to be the voice of the word. And the word is encountered as grace and truth. And from his grace, grace upon grace. Just so that we get it. Of course, there's time to share truth. And not because you know what it is. But because, like me, you have a reference. Who's called the truth, Jesus? And you have his word that explains his truth, the Bible. And you're trying to understand it just as much as everybody else is. Yeah? So here's the thing. As we face a new year, how are you going to encounter people? How are people going to encounter you? I want to be the voice for the word. Do you? Is that, is that something that you'd like this year? There's going to be lots of opportunities. I think of the work of Dayton Women in the Word and some of the things that they're doing in the communities of incarcerated people and, and people who are finding that they're on the margins of society and homeless. They're doing a brilliant work being the voice to the word. Maybe you need to find out from them what's going on. Jillian's there, just go and talk to her. Maybe, maybe this new venture that's, um, that's gonna be happening through Deborah and Catherine called Coffee Collab. Collab is the hip shortened abbreviation of collaboration. coffee collab you know there's going to be there's going to be ways in which people who have suffered marginalization actually find a place of employment in a in a maybe a mobile coffee environment where we can serve the community but they can learn what it means to be employed again yeah ask them about it maybe maybe Next Sunday, Jason was talking about it. He said, this Sunday, didn't he? Or something, it made me sound like it was this, anyway, it's not this Sunday, it's next Sunday at my place at five. Sally and I will be putting some, I don't know, bone broth together on Monday and boil down something for you. Maybe not, no. No food. No boiled broth, okay. Okay. I was so looking forward to boiling down some bones for you. Anyway, um, so, so next week, so next week, around about five, if you're a leader here, you know, you're a leader of a group, or how about this? If you want to be, if you've got something that's kind of bubbling up with you, I was talking to Jeff and Laura about the possibility that maybe they've got some people that they want to gather into a Discovery Bible community. Well, come on. Maybe there are others of you here who are thinking, you know, I I feel like I want to gather some people and and just have a a time when we can explore what it means to follow Jesus. Come on. When I was asking the Lord about this new year, I said, Lord, what's the word that you want to give me for this year? And it was a bit of a Kind of Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones kind of picture I got, which is, I always get these weird pictures. But I was, I was praying, I got this kind of picture, and I, and I saw me and everybody else facing outwards towards a light that was illuminating them. And I said, What is that? And the Lord said to me, Outward facing fruitfulness. outward-facing fruitfulness. I think that that's what God's wanting to to do with us this this year. Tonight, if you want to find out one of the ways that we're learning how to do that through Discovery Bible uh, community, come to our place tonight. uh, Around about 6.30, some people will be gathering. They'll be gathering for the next couple of weeks and begin to multiply out over these next few months there's lots of ways that God could be helping us to be outward facing and fruitful in this coming year my encouragement to you is this hear the challenge of Jesus to be his voice to be his voice the voice that communicates his grace and truth to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your neighbors, to the people near you. Be the voice to the word. And if there are particular ways that we do stuff here that can help you do that, then come on, let's get involved. But if not, then next time you're in Costco, next time you're in Walmart, next time you're at Starbucks, next time you're at some other place, this afternoon, when you're having lunch, What are people going to encounter in you? You, the word within you. You, the one who carries the presence of Jesus within you. You, who can choose to be the voice if you want to be. Amen? Okay, so there's lots of things that we've got to pray about at the end of the service. There's there's folks who, of course need to be prayed for for healing, that's always the case, there's lots of situations where we feel like we need some deliverance and breakthrough, as we come to the end of the time of worship, of course come and be prayed for by members of the congregation, the prayer team will recruit other members of the congregation to do that, if you're up on the shelf, you know, come on, you're allowed to come down here too, and we can pray for anybody, even people in the balcony, but here's, here's the thing that I would recommend that all of us consider as our response at the end of this worship. And that response may be best expressed by you, by you coming forward to pray. If you pray on one of the small mats, then nobody will trouble you, they'll leave you alone. If you come on one of the big mats, then one of the prayer team will come and pray with you. Maybe offer a word of encouragement, a word of scripture, a word of counsel. My encouragement to you is this. Make this response. Jesus, I know you're the Word. I know you're full of grace and truth. Help me be your voice. Help me be your voice this year. And if that's something that's stirring in your heart for God to do in you this year, then you come. And in making that response, begin to express the desire to be his voice. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word and that we don't have to be. We thank you, Jesus, that you made all things and that includes each one of us. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the word and that as the word, you're the light of life. We pray, Lord, for the curious people around us who are looking for answers to the deep questions of life. Lord, may they encounter in us as your voice, your grace and truth. We pray, Jesus, for your glory and in your name and all God's people say.